Greetings, this is Douglas Skimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. Traditionally, we utilize these podcasts as a way to communicate additional insight into our industry perspectives, as well as provide interviews with various members of the firm. Today, this episode is going to be a bit more reactive. And today, I'll be talking to Blake Haxton, our analyst for both energy and airlines at Diamond Hill, uh, to discuss the recent drone attacks in Saudi Arabia and the implications for the oil industry. Blake's been with the team since 2016 and graduated from The Ohio State University with a bachelor's degree in finance and also graduated from the Moritz College of Law at The Ohio State University. So welcome, Blake. Uh, let's jump right into it and talk about what happened this weekend and the implications. So uh, the attack on Saudi Arabian oil production occurred on Saturday, was conducted by drones. Uh, how vulnerable do you think the oil production infrastructure is to something like this? And are there measures of protection that can be put in place or are already in place? Uh, that's a great question, Doug. I mean, I think there's a there's an open question about how defensible these assets really are from threats like this. Um, some reports have come out that these were particularly low flying, that they were missile mount, missiles mounted on drones such that those are particularly hard to protect against. Um, there are there are assets in place that are defensive to try and guard uh, the particularly the Saudi assets, uh, Saudi uh, oil infrastructure, but obviously it didn't work here. And this particular asset, this refinery, uh, it's really refinery sort of an understatement. It's really a centralized processing hub for a number of petroleum products that come out of Saudi Arabia. Um, this was really the crown jewel. I mean, if you wanted to really foul up the Saudi oil system, this is the thing you'd want to hit. Hmm. So there are some questions reverberating around the industry and I think across the market right now about, okay, if you couldn't protect this, right. you know, what what can you protect? You know, I think um, as we've seen in the last couple of months, if tankers go down in the, in the strait or if um, more foreign assets are a little more vulnerable, um, that's probably a little better understood. Um, but this, this, I think, raises a lot of questions. Yeah, that's so. I hear, I hear drone attack, and I think my kid's got a drone. I've got a drone, but we're probably thinking, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe you don't know, but we're thinking more like military grade drones that you see on TV and in commercials. Probably more that than than strapping a grenade onto, you know, the fifty dollar drone that you buy at, at Best Buy or wherever it may be. Well, I think you nailed it. We may not know. Yeah. Um, you know, there have been drones recovered from the war in Yemen that. Mm-hmm are really a little more something you would expect to stitch together in your garage. Um, And very, I mean, relatively low tech, uh, but really effective um, in in obviously sort of a a terrible sense, but, um, you know, they're having a high impact. Um, They've been used both in Yemen and uh, in Saudi Arabia, launched from Yemen uh, is where we've seen it recently. But I certainly wouldn't rule out much higher tech, um, really military-grade type things we're seeing here. I mean, these were... Um, th- these attacks were very targeted. I mean, they hit what they were aiming at. Yeah. So, um, you know, th- I think it's still an open question around um, what exactly did it. Um, just had today the Saudi Aramco um, press conference. The new uh, oil minister for Saudi Arabia uh, really didn't want to comment on the actual attack. Uh, didn't want to point the finger. Uh, called in a UN investigation. So we're still in pretty early stages of knowing exactly what happened here. But um, nonetheless, did take a lot of capacity offline. Yeah, and so, so getting to that, so one of the things that, um, that I've been curious about, you know, the exact damage to the facility, because I hear drone bomb facility, what does that mean? I mean, because there are 
components and aspects of that facility that I don't understand, that listeners don't understand, that a grenade could damage significantly, but that bombing is much bigger. And I know that there was a call today. Uh, it sounds like we didn't get a lot of details, but what have you heard about how long it's going to take to get production back up and running? So far, you're right. I don't think we have a lot of details. One thing that did come out of the press conference was that the investigation of the damage and even the cost to repair the exact damage that happened is still ongoing. Um, so I'm not sure we know exactly mechanically what's wrong with the system. However, uh, we were told that it would take between uh, two and three weeks to get back to the capacity we had before the attack um, in some sense, meaning that the production volume that's coming out of Saudi Arabia, uh, regardless of where it's coming from, will get back to pre-attack levels by the end of the month is what we were given. Um, longer term, the guidance was maybe by the end of November, we'll actually put the assets that were attacked themselves back into the system and back up and working. So I think that's, that's really the up-to-date information we have, but I think some of that's subject to change too. So what, what kind of impact, so say we get back to capacity in the next two weeks, but what kind of impact has it been to the global supply? I mean, we've heard 5.7 million barrels taken offline. And do you think that the price movement that we saw Monday and Tuesday, Monday up, what, 19% at the open, finished up somewhere north of 10% uh, after some pullback, uh, you know, what kind of impact are we looking at? Sure. I think, I think what we've seen from the price movement in the last two days was really a combination of two things. One, the actual supply taken off the market, of course, which is at 5.7 barrels a day through the facility, uh, which now we're being told the full 5.7 might have only been out of the system for a day or two. Mm-hmm. Um, up to 20% uh, of that came back on relatively quickly, and maybe up to 70% of that uh, can be back on uh, relatively uh, in short order. Um, so accounting for the actual inventory loss was part of that move. The rest of the move, I think, is a security premium mm-hmm. and the market pricing. And okay, if it was this easy to attack a piece of infrastructure that was this important, is this the new normal? Um, mm-hmm. Can we see 5% of global oil supply go off the market just like that? And and I think that's really the, the question the market is having to answer right now. Um, of course, oil back down this morning. Um, not that we're trying mm-hmm. to play that game. Uh, I don't think we're comfortable uh, trying to call the ball on 24-hour oil prices or anything even <laughs> even remotely close to that. Uh, we're not trying to play that game. Uh, but it, it does remain to be seen. What kind of premium is the market going to place in? Um, are there going to be increased costs of security? Um, are certain projects now just going to be favored based on geography? Uh, those are real-time questions that I think the market's still trying to sort out. So is there um, is there a premium that was already considered for call natural disasters, hurricanes, et cetera. Now you're layering on another premium that's based on this type of risk. I think that's the case. Um, you know, if we look at prices just from, say, Friday to today, and we try and control for the inventory impact of mm-hmm. the outage itself, we're still looking at maybe 6 to 7% price increases that really has to be attributed to the, the security situation. Does that persist? Is that the right number? Um, well, I think it, at this point, it's really anyone's guess. Um, the, the the curve has moved up a little bit, obviously a lot more on the front end, um, having pulled back a little today. And the way we want to think about that is through our margin of safety framework, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we, we want to have some humility around calling the, the commodity price itself for exactly situations like this. Um, we don't view this as predictable. We don't view this as 
It was something we certainly want to trade around, but we do appreciate that this is the nature of the global market we are, we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, a, a, we live in a world where a drone attack in Saudi Arabia can easily change prices in Texas, mm-hmm. and we want to be aware of that and have that factor into our thinking. And does this, um, the news coming out now, uh, does this impact the prospects for the Aramco IPO, which we've heard a lot about? It would certainly seem so. Just in the press conference we just heard, uh, the Saudi oil minister saying they are going to go ahead with the IPO, that this will not deter them. Um, one piece of information that came out, they said, you know, the, there's been talk of the IPO maybe as early as this year, at least offering some of it domestically, and then going on an international exchange next year. Uh, that it's been a very dynamic situation. The the Aramco IPO has been, you know, a, a quickly changing uh, situation for quite a while. Um, the minister did say up in the next 12 months um, for the IPO, so maybe that opens the door for a little bit of wiggle room going forward. We'll see. Um, but that, uh, that you know, it's, it's really sort of the perfect storm of an investing story, um, I think, for Aramco because there's so many political considerations, not, there's so many economic considerations, and it really is a wait and see what, what this does. Um, it's a tougher case to IPO now, mm-hmm. given what I think the global security situ- apparatus is going to perceive the risk to Saudi Aramco as. Having said that, we really can't make any sort of valuation judgment or investment case judgment because we don't really know what the market valued Aramco at to begin with. Right. Right. So, um, I mean, it certainly cannot have been a good thing. Uh, I think a lot of people are are waking up and finding out. Okay, maybe this this crown jewel asset. This you know, you know, you see the headlines thrown around. Most profitable company in the world. Things like that. Well, maybe it's a little more vulnerable than we thought. Um, certainly doesn't help the case. Right. But quantifying that is really anyone's guess at this point. So one of the things that we've we've seen in the past: oil prices pick up, shale production ramps up. Now we've got ways of getting it to market a lot faster. How quick is the reaction going to be? It sounds like they're going to, you know, uh, take care of this this lack of production pretty quickly. Was this going to impact the shale industry here? It does seem like they've gotten over the, the issue pretty quickly in terms of the short-term supply issues, although I think there are still some things to be worked out. As it pertains to the shale industry in the United States, I, you know, it... It's a wait-and-see type game, I think, at this point, because what really matters, or one of the things that will really matter, is do domestic shale management teams view the short-term increase in price as stable and longer-lasting such that they're willing to take more investment risk on the front end? Are Are they willing to underwrite, effectively, higher oil prices going forward because of what we saw this weekend? I don't, my, my sense is maybe not yet, um, we've seen oil, you know, within the last 12 months, we've seen oil prices up near 60, you know, in the higher 50s for, you know, WTI, mm-hmm. above 60 for Brent, and there's been a lot of volatility there. But we're not really outside of that range range now uh, as we sit here today. So mm-hmm. um, I would be surprised, given the rhetoric that is coming out of a lot of the UFC and P names that, and management teams, that I don't think this is going to change their drilling program. I would, I would be surprised if a lot of development got kicked off because of this. Um, but as I say, uh, the industry has been plagued by that in the past. We see a ramp up in price mm-hmm. that 
you know, a lot of capital chases that, and that ends up degrading returns going forward. So certainly something we're going to pay a lot of attention to. So they may, it's going to be that decision of, is that risk premium? If we assume the, the price impact from the event is negated within the next two weeks, but the ongoing risk premium, is that enough? And that's kind of the question they have to ask themselves. Is that enough to start ramping up production? I, I think that's exactly the question. Okay. As we mentioned earlier, the day after, or the Monday following the attack, oil was up 19% at the beginning, pulled back by the end of the day. Um, companies that stand to gain the most from the increase in oil prices are likely to be some oil producers, U.S. producers, I'm sorry, um, a lot of which had been under pressure, significant pressure from short selling, uh, or at least that's the, the theory. So names like Apache, Continental Resources, and Devon Energy, um, they were all up 10% yesterday. So one company that didn't benefit from that short covering, if that's what it was, was Noble Energy. Um, what's, the, what's the differences in that reaction in those companies? So Noble and then the other more, again, U.S.-based. So this is a really interesting case over the last couple of days, um, and, and you nailed it. I think there's a lot, there was a lot of price reaction yesterday, really on the back of the commodity price, obviously for U.S.-focused names, um, or really even, you might say, non-Middle East names. There was quite a bit of uh, you know, oily assets around the world that, that also benefited. Um, Noble has a very large project based in the eastern Mediterranean, just offshore Israel. Mm-hmm. And that has resource going to, of course, Israel, also potentially into Jordan. There's a contract on the table with Egypt. So broad-reaching Middle Eastern asset you know, in the neighborhood of, obviously, Saudi Arabia uh, and, and, and the region as a whole. Noble didn't move as much, as mm-hmm. you observed. And I think a lot of that is the security premium we're seeing from this particular attack. Um, you know, does the market handicap in a greater risk of these energy assets, these large standing structures, which are big targets or could be, right? Um, you know, they're, they're obviously not mobile. <laughs> they're, they're hard to get hold of. And given the nature that you're moving petroleum products, it can just be flat out dangerous to begin with. Um, I think there's probably some caution there. What that does to the long-term valuation of the business, um, from the way I think I would look at it, is, again, now we're back to the question of, is there a security premium built in to the cash flows that you're projecting from the bottom-up asset? Um, what do you think that is? Does that play into your normalized commodity price? Um, you know, Nothing happened to the Noble directly and a number of other producers right. in the region. You know, they weren't directly affected by uh, by the, the attacks over the weekend. But nonetheless, they're, you know, it's a meaningful uh, underperformance relative to other companies producing the same commodity. Um, so that right there tells you that the market is starting, at the very least, to bake in a very large premium. Okay. Yeah. So guilt by being in the same neighborhood, essentially. That's exactly right. Yeah. Big neighborhood, but still same. Big neighborhood. neighborhood but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about, about Diamond Hill and what we do. So our research focuses on, we always talk about a five-year time horizon. And, import- and the importance of, of that focus is no more evident than right now. Um, you know, short-term impact, headline grabbing, there's a lot of angst right now. Does that change or it doesn't necessarily impact longer-term valuation of the company and our estimate of intrinsic value? Can you walk me through our approach to evaluating the impact of something like this weekend's action on long-term intrinsic value? And, and frankly, does it impact it? Because, again, we're longer term. So in the short term, yes, there's going to be some movement. But longer term, does it affect, if we assume that they get back to regular production, do we assume that our intrinsic value is not going to change that much? 
So maybe we'll take a step back and mm-hmm. kind of approach how we look at the energy investing and particularly in, in the EMP, you know, exploration and production space. And we want to be very cognizant of owning stocks that, and owning really pieces of businesses that don't need a commodity tailwind to be good investments. We, as, as we've seen this weekend, yeah. the commodity price in the short term, even in the intermediate to long term, can move a great deal. A lot is very hard to know. Um, you know, everyone has an opinion, but volatility remains. Mm-hmm. So we want to get very comfortable with the specific assets that our companies are drilling. We want to feel like we understand the geology, we understand the engineering, we understand the takeaway capacity. Can we transport the the commodity once we get it out of the ground? All those questions that are pretty much, you know, I would say EMP 101, mm-hmm. maybe. We want to get really comfortable there, such that we know these businesses can generate what we feel is a reliable stream of cash flows with a margin of safety. In, in in any commodity environment, and we're not just betting on the oil price, um, as is so common for investing in the energy space. Right. Um, so, having said that, we do constantly reevaluate our view of the commodity itself. Um, that's going to be everything from you know, what is the situation in the Middle East. You know, Saudi Arabia is responsible for ten percent of global supply, um, de facto leader of OPEC. Um, now that we've brought Russia into the fold, what's that relationship going to do? Those two together are 20% of global supply. So as uncomfortable as it may be from a forecasting standpoint, the fact of the matter is they're incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, now the United States comprises 10% of global supply. So how has that demand and su- supply-demand dynamic shifted globally over the last 5, 10 years with the shale, shale boom we've seen, with other global assets you know, being less or more price competitive, we want to take all that into account, so I'm giving you the giving you the long version here. Sure. But the uh, I think the way we think about it is, on uh, we start off with bottom up. What are these companies actually doing? What are they producing? What are the economics of these projects? And then we're constantly reiterating, and I say reiterating, iterating through what is just what is the commodity price dynamic globally? What do we think is probably the most reasonable thing to happen? And then. Can we adjust with information as it comes out? Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to kind of bring that full circle, I think we want to have you know, good exposure to well-understood businesses that can do well in any commodity environment. And if that's the case, then you know if we do get a commodity tailwind, great. If not, that's fine too. Um, so I think that's our you – know, we, we just want to and, – and, the, la- the last thing I'll say about that, and I'm, I'm running in circles around it a little bit here, but I think that's a little bit of the, pr- I think that's sort of the process. And I, I think that sort of, it, to some extent, is a very important part of the process is just how certain can we be around certain outcomes or certain assumptions. And we want to pay attention to that degree of certainty. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make decisions around that. And that's going to directly play into our margin of safety philosophy, right? The less certain we are about a given outcome, the less certain we are about a given business, the wider margin we want. And so that's going to inform all of our, our view broadly. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you've got a lot going on these last couple of days. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it. Yeah. Hopefully everyone learns a little something. And, and thanks again for joining me. Hey, thank you for having me. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.